Welcome to Commerce Chefs, a quirky and thought-provoking show for future-focused commerce leaders. We're going to pit the world's most brilliant, inspiring, and driven D2C visionaries, the Commerce Chefs, with riveting questions to uncover their secret ingredients at the intersection of passion, performance, and leadership and practice. For the past decade, we've led teams of designers, strategists, and digital wizards at one of the leading e-com agencies in the country to help brave brands become enduring classics. And we're here to indefinitely borrow the strategies and pro tips that will make us all better leaders and make the brands we lead better too. Now that we're officially finished our first season, we've decided to spice things up a little bit over the summer for your listening enjoyment. So every two weeks, we're releasing some of our favorite interviews from season one, but in long form, so we can share even more delicious insights with you. The secret good stuff that you didn't get to hear. So listen in, grab a margarita. No, no, that's awful. Awful sounding and probably tasting too. Okay, okay. Grab a dakiri. Enjoy some easy breezy listening by the poolside with your favorite podcast hosts and let us know what you think in the review section. So Tom, this is sadly the last episode of our summer interview series. Where does the time go? They just, they just grow up so fast. They really do. So we're closing out the season with an incredible episode featuring Jeff Cottrell, former exec at Converse, Starbucks, Coca-Cola, and even the Grammy Foundation. Jeff was featured in our sixth episode, Disrupting Disruptors, and he's been referred to as the Tony Hawk of marketing. Kyle, you you uh-huh. were the one that referred to him as that. Oh. Yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> Jeff generously took the time to talk to these two goofballs about what disruption truly is, what that means for the future of brands, and how leaders can cultivate meaningful, long-lasting relationships between their customers and their products. We can't wait to kickflip this interview off. Kyle, nobody calls him that. My name is Jeff Cottrell. I am a lifelong serial marketer. I've worked at places like Procter & Gamble, Coca-Cola, Starbucks. I was the CMO at Converse for a while, and I've spent a little time in the agency world as well. Love it. No big deal. You probably haven't heard of these companies, but we'll make sure to put it in the show notes. And that's serial <laughs> entrepreneur with an S, not the edible kind. Right, right. Right, serial marketer, not a serial marketer. See the next move he's out right now that he can't. True, it's the old, maybe the only product I haven't sold yet. So there we go. Uh, you know, happy to help. Happy to help. So on on the topic of disruption, it's a big one. We have a belief around disruption, maybe not being the actual point. A belief that it it is a tool or a a result of what comes from truly trying to change something that needs to be changed. And it can be small, it can be big. There's, there's lots of different ways and scales that that this can, can come to life, but that disruption maybe isn't the point. It's, it's not the destination and maybe even a belief that it, it can actually be a distraction if that's the thing that you're looking to do and not the change on the other end. So 
maybe it's right, maybe it's wrong. Who's to say? But from your perspective and in your very tenured experience, what's the difference between disruption and differentiation? I have had conversations hundreds of times with people that I've worked with over the years, and I've said in meetings, what is our goal? And oftentimes someone will say it was 6% growth. And I, I will always say 6% growth is a result. <laughs> That's not our goal. Our goal is to understand our consumers and to serve them with the products we make in meaningful ways. That's our goal. Our result should be 6%. So I think the same thing applies to the idea of disruption. Disruption for disruption's sake is, I think, in, in oftentimes a, a waste of time. I think disruption, yeah, you're right. Disruption is the result. And it's funny, when you use the word disruption, it automatically paints the picture of destruction, right? And those are two different words. But people think disruption means I'm going to destroy whatever is in front of me and I'm going to redo the whole thing. Disruption is not necessarily destruction. So I, I often find when people use that word, they're confusing it with something else. So the difference between disruption and differentiation, I think, is differentiation is, you know, when you're in the marketplace with a product or a service and you've got a discernible difference between you and your competitor. There's something unique about your product or your product offering. Maybe it's your customer service could be differentiated from your competition. Disruption is thinking about potentially a brand new way to serve your consumers in a way that hasn't been done before, a way to surprise your consumers potentially. And also a way potentially to drive costs out of your business. You know, disruption doesn't always have to be consumer facing. It can be a different way to go to market or a different way to, to create your products and your go to market strategies. So there, I mean, I think they're two very different things. In, in that kind of going back to the destruction connotation that comes with disruption, like how do you think that disruption kind of gets associated so much with destruction or this like, what goes on there? Why do we associate with that? I don't really know. It's funny. I had a, I'm not going to talk about specific companies or specific jobs today, but I worked in a, I worked at a big company and I was brought in with the brief that we need you to disrupt the way we do things. We need you to do the kinds of things that you did at your other place. So I was like, that sounds amazing. So the minute I came in and started to push not to disrupt for disruption purposes, but to start to push on ways of thinking and trying, hey, have you thought about it this way? Do you realize other companies and other brands do it this way? I was met with, well, we want you to disrupt things, but no, that's not the way we do things. We do it this way. <laughs> and it was an incredible like, oh, eye-opening experience for me because I was like, I thought you wanted to disrupt the way you're doing things to find new ways. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we do. But, you know, we can't, not that, like that. We can't change this, this, or this. <laughs> it's funny. It's a funny thing that people think, oh my gosh, you're going to destroy everything that I've worked so hard to build. And that's not the case at all. It's, it's sometimes a fresh set of eyes or the same team pulling back and having a fresh look and reframing an opportunity can lead to massive disruption, right, in, in, the, in the world. But it doesn't have to be throw everything you've been doing out. It just could be do everything you're doing better in a slightly different way and maybe get a much better result. That's uh, sort of going back to our thesis or our, our thoughts around it is like there are scales of disruption. There are making incremental improvements on something that disrupts what the expectations were before. And there's whole market shifts. Like you see once in a generation or, or once in a decade with 
with your Apples and your Teslas, where they're absolutely flipping the script mm -hmm. in a very defined and accepted market, a way of doing things. So if we have this, this scale of monumental industry or, or world-changing disruption to, oh, we were able to do this process or this particular feature in our product better, why is disruption then so glamorized? Because one seems really mundane, like that's that's the key and, and model of business is to do better. Yeah. And then the other is to change the world. So why is this so glamorized? And if disruption demands change, why do we try to run towards it if really, in if we're honest with ourselves, we're all afraid of change and what's going to be required to make that happen in the first place? Yeah, um, disruption is only glamorous when it works, <laughs> right, first and foremost. And oftentimes, I think disruption associated in the marketplace is often driven by ego, right? A lot of times people come into a new place and, you know, and, you know, I, I fortunately did not make that mistake when I came to Converse many years ago. Named a new CMO, you know, the, the mission was to get this thing going. And I came in and thought, well, I could be that dumb CMO that fires the agency and, tells the team, I need a new team. And I was like, no, that would be the wrong way to disrupt this place. The right way would be to disrupt it from the inside with the people that already know what they're doing and, and to go from there. So I think it's often, disruption can often be ego-driven. It's such a fascinating, I, I didn't even think about that with it, the ego-driven disruption. What's the connection between ego and disruption? Well, to me, I think the CMO is the most disposable senior executive in the company, right? They're the ones that change the chairs the most. I mean, it's true. You have a bad quarter. It couldn't be anybody's fault, but the marketing must have been horrible. You have a great quarter. Man, our product is amazing, <laughs> right? So, you know, a lot of times people come in, you're on the clock as a CMO. You know, you're told by your recruiter, you're not going to be there very long. So a lot of them come in and try to make a name for themselves immediately and to disrupt the way they're thinking and have a completely different point of view of what's already been done. And I think a lot of that's driven by ego to try to prove themselves versus really stepping back and taking yourself out of it and putting the consumer back in the front and thinking about ways, new ways to serve and to connect with them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that focus, that that long game, that understanding of that's got to be an important part of the equation in in when it for when it goes right, when you when you can still keep the lens and the focus on what you're looking to make the people you're looking to serve and the outcome you want. That's got to be a core component of success at any scale of disruption. Yeah, I think I think so. And it, particularly in existing companies, like when you're coming into an existing company, well, I, I like to think about like Uber. Right? I used to go to New York City all the time, right? And I remember being way up on the Upper West Side one day for a meeting, and it was like five o'clock, and I needed to get to the Lower East Side. And like a hundred cabs drove past me, and I was standing in the street flagging them down. And they'd slow down, where are you going? And I'm like, Lower East Side, oh, my shift changed, not going to pick you up. And I'm thinking, there are thousands of taxis right now, and I need a ride. I have money in my pocket. I'm willing to pay you if you will take me there but they wouldn't stop. So I have to I imagine that the guy who founded Uber was went through a similar situation. Look at all these cars. Look at all these people. Like there's gotta be a better way. So that kind of disruption, because there's nothing in front of it, there's no history behind like that business. You can come in and look at something from a completely different angle. So to me, that's rare, right? That's rare. Disruption in your everyday business, you're typically 
at a company that's been there for a while. They've got their, their practices in place. They've got their product in place. They've got their idea and core concept in place. And it becomes a little bit more difficult. So you do need the degrees of disruption, small, medium, large. And sometimes disruption is a series of a lot of little things, not just one giant thing. We see a lot of founders that, you know, maybe have the opportunity to still start out fresh and come with that framing however they want to see it, but can get so focused on the disruption when they're not kind of chasing the level of capital that Uber was, you know what I mean? To bring right. the disruption. And so it's like, you kind of get like sidetracked because you're like, I think I can disrupt everything, but it's like the game you're in actually isn't Uber level. So like, what kind of thoughts would you give to someone who like, no, no, like, I am in the Uber game because like, this is my, I'm founding this company, but, but you're not like, what, what are you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, again, I think if you get too focused on the disruption itself and don't pay attention to the fundamentals of what your business is or what it could be, I and mean, there's a lot of disruptors that have come in place. There's a lot of tech startups that get all this amazing attention. And then when you really dig in, they don't make any money and they don't necessarily have a long-term range ability to make money. And you're like, wow, it's an amazing disruption, but like no one's going to pay for it. So like, that's not really a big idea. <laughs> Just because you can doesn't mean you should sometimes. That shouldn't, it shouldn't prevent us from still trying. But you do, if you're in business or you're trying to build a business, you have to have a business model, not just a good idea. Yeah. So let's just repeat that. You have to have a good business model, not just a good idea. There is a difference between noise and change. And change requires the long game. You, you don't, yeah, you, you might get a lot of attention. And I, Jeff, you could probably speak to this, but there's a lot of companies, there's a lot of brands, there's a lot of people that are very good at making noise in simple ways as well. If everybody's zigging, we're going to zag, that's disruption, mic drop, and then it all goes away. So what, what's missing? What's missing in that? Uh, again, I think if you're not finding interesting ways to serve your market, whether it's business to business or business to consumer, you have to find ways to serve your marketplace, your consumers, your customers in unique ways. If you can find new products to do that through innovation and through disruption, then go for it. But if you don't have a, a core idea that's compelling, that a, a customer or a consumer is going to pay for, then it is just noise. And you do see a lot of these startups, you know, some of them are amazing and they push, maybe, maybe their idea isn't a full idea. Maybe their idea fits into a different idea and it makes that different idea even bigger. And, you know, that's, that's certainly interesting. But, but a lot of times the noise, like I don't even, I, honestly, I don't read the trade publications about marketing and advertising because 90% of it is noise. I'm, I've been a marketer my whole life. Nothing to me is more boring than talking about marketing with a marketing person. Like, that's just like, I just like not interested. <laughs> um, because we have so many buzzwords and we chase each other, we follow each other. There's very little unique and independent thinking, which is why you don't see a lot of disruption because we're all reading the trades. There's a new buzzword and all of a sudden we're, you know, we're, you know, it was transparency at one point, then it was uh, branded content, then it was digital, you know, and it's like all of a sudden there's conferences around buzzwords and you're like, wow, what, how do we get here? There's no disruption here. It's just people following each other and talking to themselves. Do you think then the best disruptive ideas or innovation comes from kind of turning off and just 
being with your own thoughts and your own approach to how to serve better and how to build a better product? Well, turn off the noise and get your team around the table and like push everything on the floor and just push it on the floor, push it out of the way and think, okay, you know, is there a better way? Are we doing it? Are we doing the best we can? Like I said, disruption might be your business model. You might have the same face to the consumer and the same product, but behind the scenes, the way the machine runs might be completely different and that might help you make more money. You know, my favorite disruptor in the marketplace today is Nike. And I don't mean like they come in and bang the cymbals and disrupt the world. Like, I mean like their products disrupt. Like they, they will make a product and know when they make it, that this product is probably not going to be the same as it is now, two years from now. It's going to be better. And it's, or it's going to be completely different, or it's just going to go away. And that takes massive courage. And that is, to me, a very disruptive mindset. You know, a lot of companies have a product. We're never going to change it. No, Nike's not afraid. They're not afraid to fundamentally change a product and say, you know what? We're not going to sell that anymore to you. This is our new thing. And, and, you know, you follow it. At least I do. I've been trained by them to follow it. It's great. And I, and I love it. I, I love it because it makes me feel like there's constantly change. And, you know, they had a saying there, you know, innovate or die. And, you know, they never sat still. And I think from a mindset standpoint, you could apply that to almost any company. But most companies don't think that way. Therefore, you don't see the disruption, the level of disruption that maybe they could get to. Innovate or die, I honestly, like, it's, it's strong. I think a lot of people have, have heard it or, or, you know, they, they say that phrase a lot. I would venture a guess. I would bet $5, maybe 7 that mm. most people don't actually know, though, what that means to follow through with. And essentially... No question. What Nike's approach is and, and what you're saying where, when disruption really works or when it's a, a true result of the change you're looking to make is that we need to be our biggest competitor. We need to work to put ourselves out of business and improve on that Yes, every day. I think that's right. I think if you sit still too long, the, the other people will come in to your marketplace and do it better than you will. That you can't, you know, you might be the best at what you do, but like, you know, you need to continue to train and continue to practice and continue to get better if you want to maintain and continue to be the best. I mean, the best athletes in the world are only the best athletes in the world for a very short period of time because another athlete comes in and becomes the best athlete in the world, right? And, you know, there's, there's father time issues in, in there, but the same thing really applies in business. And again, back to the thing I love about Nikes, you know, they will say there is no finish line. And, you know, when you really think about what that means, you're like, whoa, that's amazing. Like that is unlimited opportunity for us to have a road always in front of us that we can continue to become better and better and better. And to me, that's inspiring. But I don't see that kind of inspiration in so many different companies. I hear them talking about disruption, but it's mainly for disruption's sake or to get headlines or to get the art from, you know, to get the cover of Ad Age or Ad Week or whatever. And like, you know, stuff super boring to me. The other big thing you'd mentioned was there's a fear of disruption because people think it, it can mean or is equated to destruction. I want to know your thoughts on whether there might be another kind of fear at play, especially for those that, that really do have a focus on the impact and the result uh, and the change that they're looking to make. 
do you think that there's an element of fear because they they might actually be afraid that they they could succeed yeah and it goes back to a great idea without a business plan is just a great idea i mean yeah i don't know that people maybe people are afraid of of succeeding i think people are often f- afraid of what could be what will be but i mean building a successful career is built on failure it's built on your failures it's not built on your successes it's built on what you learn from how you fail and then success becomes something that you get or you achieve but it's only because of the failures how do you think i'll, I'll frame this in like Art and artists seem to kind of like live in that almost like purity of like, I'm pursuing bringing my art to the world. Not always. I know it's, but I'm, and then often in like kind of marketing or design or whatever it is, like we take it to the other end of the spectrum where it's like, it's, it's got to serve, you know, commercial purpose. And often we'll even talk about like that history of like, you know, commercial art and that kind of stuff. And I guess the the question is like, what do we need to kind of continue to take from that? I think you really have to care about your consumer and what you're making and what you're serving. And I think you have to be brave in your ideas. I think sometimes you just have to believe in what it is you're doing. I'll give you a quick example. When I was interviewing for my role at Converse, uh, Nike owns Converse and, uh, and I, inter- I went to Beaverton and I interviewed with several executives from Nike and it was just, I was just blown away at everyone I met. But one guy asked me, he was a former head of marketing for the company years ago, and he, he said, I really just have one question for you. Have, have you ever gone all the way? And I thought, well, that's a weird question. That's a very weird question. <laughs> that's almost inappropriate. But he said, and he, and, he, and he stopped and he said, you know what I mean. He said, have you ever believed in something so much that you're willing to put it all on the line and quit if they wouldn't let you do it? And in that moment, I was like, you know, there's only one answer and that's the truth. And the truth was all over my face. And I I still get goosebumps when I talk about the story is I was like, oh my God, I've never done, I've never done that before. I've actually never believed in something so much that I would risk it all. Oh my God. And I said to him, I never have. I'm so embarrassed. But I tell you what, if I, if I get this job, I promise to you that I will. And he was like, good, because you're going to need to. And I learned that lesson and a lot of the disruption and things that we did were because we found a couple of ideas that we really, really believed in. And we were not going to let people say that's not the way we do things. We were going to do new and different things. And as a result, you know, the team that I was fortunate enough to work on and work with, you know, we did amazing things together because we, we saw a new, we saw a different world from how other brands were marketing and engaging with consumers. So that question in that interview changed my life in terms of the way I think about like, man, sometimes you just got to believe in what you're doing. And, you know, the founders, the crazy founders of all the amazing companies that we talk about, they were like, I see a better way. I'm gonna go do it this way. So I think more marketers honestly need to believe in uh, making making their products better, making the consumer experience better. I think a lot of people in marketing are just, you know, they write the brief and then sign the check and they don't really get in deep enough to, they don't want to take the risk to, to try to really drive some some disruption.
and to, to just go back to your earlier point too about when someone came to you and said six percent's the goal and, and you said that's not that's the result it's the goal yeah it's especially in like marketing and growth and there's so like clear results that we're yeah. always chasing it's almost like we're kind of like afraid to look at the real goal because it's so much easier to look at growth as opposed to like actually believe in what you're doing. Yeah, no, it's, it's, and you have to th- think about that because if, if your goal is 6% growth then there are mechanical things you're going to do when you run your business, certain levers you're going to pull to make sure you hit that 6%, right? Would you rather have a 70% margin on a product you sell once or a 12% margin on something you're going to sell someone for the next 20 years. But in many cases, the financial world will, will just look at your quarterly results. So pushing very, very hard on your quarterly results versus a much longer term view. So yeah, I could sell 6% all day long, but I might not be in business next year if I don't do it the right way. If I do it the right way, I might get 8% because like I found something in there that like I hadn't thought about before because I was willing to push it and to do different things. Certainly try to, I, I, I need to make sure I deliver my 6% because that's how I'm going to be evaluated. But that shouldn't ever be my goal. If that's my goal, then I'm like, it's a pretty empty place. If there's no, there's no inspiration in 6% growth. There's inspiration in the idea of like, how do we do this better? How do we make consumers like, how do we serve them in a new way? How do we surprise them? And, you know, and oftentimes marketers don't look around their office you know, or their vacation that they just took to the Caribbean, they don't realize that the consumers that they serve paid for that. And we often forget that we should be grateful for our consumers. And if you have a sense of, of gratitude towards your consumers, then you're going to disrupt in ways that benefit them first, and that will benefit you second. I mean, you know, if you were walking down the street and you ran into one of your consumers, and you saw them every day at the same time walking down the same street. And every single time you saw that person, you said to that person, hey, you want to buy this? They'd be like, what? Hey, you want to buy this? What? Hey, you want to buy this? And I did that four days in a row. The next day, you're taking a different street because you walk. You want to make sure you're not going to run into me because all I'm doing is asking you if you want to buy something f- from me. Right, and it's it's back it's back to Nike. Back Nike Nike had this amazing uh, epiphany at one point. And I wasn't there, but like I can imagine being in the room. It used to be about, hey, do you want to buy some running shoes? Do you want to buy some running shoes? And and the consumer would say, hey, I just bought some yesterday. And but like, I know, but you, do you want to buy some running shoes? But no, I I, told, I just told you I bought some yesterday. I don't need another pair today. And one day they said, hey, let's go running. Right here the Nike Plus app, the Nike Running Club. Hey, you know what? Let's go running. And they added value between the purchases. And to me, that's disruption. Disruption is like the disrupting the constant conversation I'm having with you about asking you to buy something for me. And suddenly I'm saying, hey, look, I know why you bought the running shoes. Why don't we go running? Why don't I add some utility and help you like realize your potential? And I'll run along with you. And then the next time you're ready for shoes, maybe you'll buy them from me. And to me, that's disruption, but it's magic because it just, just turns the conversation just ever so slightly, but it becomes so much more meaningful for me, the consumer, because now I think you care about me 
and understand me and you want to help me. You want to be useful. So I buy, I buy down to Nike. I do. I, I do. I continue to on a daily basis. The, and maybe, maybe this is too far, but I think that the difference is it just like you'd said before. And, and um, I think it was actually like Christopher Plummer that said this, but if you get into acting t- to be famous, you, you probably won't be. That's right. And it sounds like you said that same thing, that, that example you said about walking down the street, it seems completely absurd, but I bet if anybody listening really looks at their tactical breakdown of their email marketing or their ads or whatever, whatever channel they're using, it's exactly how they're approaching the interactions with their customers or potential customers instead of just figuring out how they can care for them, get to why yeah. they would be interested in the first place and then journey together. Yeah. I try to carry these marketing principles with me that have served me well over the years. The first one is celebrate your consumer, not yourself. Cool. Easy to say, not easy to do. Second, be useful. Okay. Ooh, now that's a big one. And then the third one was uh, something we called own, don't rent, meaning create your own marketing platforms. You know, don't borrow other people's equity, create your own things, your own things that you can manipulate, you know, like a Nike plus or a Nike running club. Those are their assets. They built those. They didn't borrow those. They built them. And then the fourth was when it comes to people, it was about understanding diversity and celebrating the differences in people, not the similarities, right? The brands, brands often find if we distill it all down to what makes us all the same, that somehow we're all the same, but we're not, we're all different. And that's what's so beautiful about the world. So those four things, you know, having principles of how you choose to think about how you're going to engage with the consumers can lead to massive disruption because you're thinking differently. And it's not just about you getting up in the morning saying, my brand is amazing and damn it, people are going to buy it. I'm going to make them buy it. I'm going to stop going to scream at them until they buy more of it. And, you know, the world has moved on. Nobody is waiting for your YouTube video. You're not going to disrupt the world by another branded YouTube video. You're going to disrupt the world by actually caring a little bit more about the people that you want to buy things from you. Do you think that disruption starts within yourself then, within your team? I think disruption starts with with the idea of freedom. It's the idea of just freeing up for just a second the way you do things. The good news is the way you do things, you're doing them already. This is what you get. Like, we're like, hey, we're growing. This is amazing, right? So don't screw that up. But then take a minute to be like, okay, but what what could we be? What could we do? And I, I think oftentimes we don't take that time to be like, all right, let's just free ourselves from what happened yesterday and think about what we could be tomorrow. It is fascinating. Yeah, we, we, we are, and I'll, I'll, I'll speak vulnerably and personally, we, we are obsessed with past results. And that, that's really all results are, are an outcome of something that's already happened. It's done. Yeah, and yet we uh, what Kyle we we focus so much time and attention and energy on focusing on the past instead Mm of results are important still we but like you said earlier if we can't learn from them if those mistakes or successes which here are interchangeable if that's not something we can learn from because we should always be postured and positioned towards the future then we're we're not that tool of disruption that outcome it's not ever going to happen anyway. 
Totally. If, if my father would have taught me how to drive a car by just looking in the rearview mirror, I never would have gotten a driver's license. <laughs> like, you know? But I mean, think about it. Like, running a business is much like driving a car. If you spend too much time looking in the rearview mirror, you're going to miss the scenery in front of you, or you're going to hit something in front of you that you didn't see. So yes, there's a, there's a, there's a time and place to look back to make sure that like, you know, what's behind you is okay and good. And you know, you've, okay, I've done that right, but you still got to look forward. And I think we oftentimes spend too much time looking back and we miss the turn to make to get to the great place. We just keep going down the same old road. Let, let's take the next couple minutes then. Let's focus on the future. Let's leverage the experience that, that you have, Jeff, here. For the founders out there, for the, for the brands that are, that are looking for that freedom, that truly have that care. If disruption happens, great, but they know what they want. For those people, what's some advice you have in, in, in terms of the, the mindset? What words of wisdom could you give or insight could you give that says like, this is what you're in for and, and you know, go for it. Well, I I'd first and foremost say, what is holding you back from caring? Like really caring. Like if you're, you know, in a business, what, what is holding you back from deeply caring about the people that you're trying to sell things to or the people that you're trying to buy things? So if you let go for just a minute and like put them first, and I know it's easy to say, I'll put the consumer first, but you know, like, no, but actually you're not in business unless somebody buys something from you. Like it's as simple as that. <laughs> if that doesn't happen, you don't have a business, but you have to believe in your ideas. You have to believe that there's a better way. And sometimes there isn't a better way, but if you don't have a belief and hope that there could be a better way, then you'll never know. So I'd rather try to find a better way and fail, then I would just keep doing what I'm doing. And then suddenly one day I wake up and someone's coming and taking my marketplace away from me because like, I just didn't see it. I just didn't see what could be. So yeah, we look, we got to, we all have to deliver 6%. Like I get it or 5% or 3% or 25%. We, I get it. I get it. And it's easy for me to push that aside. You know, people will say, Oh, that's easy for you to say. And I'm like, well, it's not actually easy for me to say, because at the end of the day, I still get evaluated on whether or not I grew a business or not. But I think there's a better way. I think there's a more fun way. I think there's a more interesting way. And I think disruption is what happens during your journey to find more interesting ways to make things, sell things, connect with people, do whatever, services, experiences, or, or, or the products that you make. So why be boring and you know do what's always been done? If someone's writing a book about your company's history, Right. You know, I, I worked at a company that was 130 years old, one of the greatest brands in the world. And, you know, we would often say to ourselves in rooms, like when they add to this book someday, these years, what are they going to say? Are they going to say you're here to here? Nothing happened. Okay, cool. Are they going to say the year from X to Y? They didn't screw it up. Okay. Amazing. Are they going to say, we don't really even know what happened between year X and year Y because like nothing really changed. Like, cool. If that's the way we want to be remembered, amazing. 
cool, we didn't screw it up. That's sometimes the objective. But like, if you have an opportunity and you know there's a blank page, you know, what are you going to do? And I'll say the my last, maybe my last thing, but look, as a CMO, you're going to get fired. Okay, It's 100% guaranteed you're going to get fired. So in fact, let me see if I've got this in my book. I think I wrote it in this one. I did. I wrote it in this book. So I, I keep notebooks. And on the last page on the bottom, it says you're fired. So I know how the book ends. I know how the book ends. Right? The ending of the book is two words and it says you're fired. And like, oh, I wrote it down. I, literally. But look at all of these blank pages between where I am now and you're fired. So I could either like have this book back to look on someday with a whole bunch of blank pages or a whole bunch of pages just, just wrote down what happened last week. Or I could have a whole bunch of really interesting stuff in here that may or may not have changed the world. But either way, I'm going to get fired. So, you know, I can sit and do the, I can sit and wait for him to come get me. Or like I could try to care in a new way and to try some new things and fail. Either way, doesn't matter. The last two words are you're fired. <laughs> and, you know, just like any great baseball coach, football coach, they all get fired and it's all good. Like, and once you accept that, it's, it's incredibly empowering to know how it's going to end and to not have fear about that conversation. Like, oh, is this the day? Oh, amazing. Great. I'll go off and do something else now. But, but I think having that kind of a mindset gets you in a position to say, all right, I got a pen in my hand and a blank sheet of paper. I have an opportunity to write something. So why don't we go ahead and write something? You know, and that to me leads to things like disruption and not necessarily things like destruction. I go back to ego. Ego leads, I think, to destruction and faith and hope and care and passion can lead to disruption. And disruption can often be a wonderful thing. And isn't, isn't that what life's all about? You, we, we have those same two words at the end of our book. What we write on the pages in the middle that's exactly that's right. our choice. That's that's the story we get to write, and that's a that's a very deep yeah. and existential. Of course, it is way to end, but but why not? Right. Yeah. Could, pull pull it up to the highest possible point and purpose. So, go write your book, everybody. Yeah. If you want to disrupt, if you want to be known as a disruptor, start with caring, start with empathy, start with passion, and go. Just go. That's so good. Also, I'm not saying that you have to do this, Jeff, but I think your book is just called You're Fired. And it's a bunch of blank pages. And the last page just says you're fired. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be amazing? $4.99. Yeah. Go for yeah. it. Yeah. With all my little stick figure drawings in the middle, like little my little doodles. Like, look, one day I wrote down a bunch of really look, look what I did yesterday during a conference call. Like I drew I drew smiley faces. But the day before I I, I had all kinds of great ideas. Right, and then all your pages not going to make the novel, but the end of the book is going to end the same. I'm telling you, dude, and it's it's all good. Sorry, so good. No, That's, like so so helpful. Even just like on a personal level, like such a great way to start today. So thank you. Yeah, of course, man. I'm honored to do these kinds of things, and I really appreciate. And like I said, I heard I heard um, one of your episodes, and I love the way. You guys talk to each other and bantered between clips. And I just thought I was like, I love, I love that. And then 
I was like, I, I would love to do that. I would love to be on that. So I, I'm, I'm honored to, uh, to have been asked. I really do. I, I'm grateful for these kinds of opportunities and the opportunity to meet new people and uh, to have a conversation like this. So I, I want to say thank you. Oh, the honor, the honor is ours, Jeff. It yeah. was absolute blast. Uh, more, more insightful than uh, I know how to articulate right now. <laughs> Disruption is a result, not a goal. And in Jeff's eyes, the goal is to serve your customers in meaningful ways, which should push your results forward. Disruption for disruption's sake is just a waste of time. Yet most business leaders associate disruption with destruction. Breaking what we have now versus bringing a new perspective or reframing the way things are done. It's about you being your biggest competitor, constantly working to improve on what you currently have. Tony and Jeff, thank you for sharing your recipes for success with us. Thanks for listening to our summer interview series of Commerce Chefs. We'll be back with our official second season on October 14th. We hope you found this series helpful and gained some new ideas to make the brands you lead even better. If you're looking for even more insights and recipes for success, make sure to follow us on social at Commerce Chefs. And remember to join the Commerce Chefs community launching this fall. Save your spot and join now at commercechefs.com slash community. Lastly, if you like this episode and you want to support us, make sure to hit the subscribe button and leave us a five-star rating and review. Oh, you know you want to. And until next time, this has been a dash of Tom. And a pinch of Kyle. And a dash of Jeff. No, Kyle, it's a dash of Tom. Oh, I, I know. I, I ran out of measurements, though. Maybe we should go metric? We'll be cooking with you on October 14th. <laughs> <laughs>